Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed, but that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested, you could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you are wrong if you think it is no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. And welcome to Baseball Barbecue on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. We are the Cespedes Family Barbecue. Uh, Jordan, we had we had a phone call yesterday uh, afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, to plan today's show. I would say it was around noon, uh, and we were going to talk about uh, Lucas Giolito's no-hitter and how the Mets suck. And then everything changed yesterday when the Milwaukee Bucks uh, decided to sit out their game, their NBA playoff game, which led to a series of cancellations of strikes across the NBA, which led to a series of strikes across the WNBA, which led to the postponements of three games in Major League Baseball and a number of other black players sitting out. So we shifted gears here on this podcast because the news demanded it. Jordan Schusterman, what can our listeners expect on this here podcast? We have two guests uh, lined up for you today. Um, we are going to talk to Russell Dorsey, the Chicago Cubs beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, about his just general takeaways from yesterday, particularly covering a team in the Cubs who did decide to play uh, despite one of their uh, leaders, Jason Hayward, uh, choosing not to play. So we'll get into all that, as well as just our general uh, takes on the all of what happened yesterday. Then we are going to talk to Brent Suter, pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, of course, the first major league baseball team to decide not to play yesterday. He kind of gives us the background of how they made that decision after, of course, their their sister professional sports team, Milwaukee Bucks, made that decision earlier in the afternoon. So we got some insight from him, as well as other things that the Brewers are trying to actually do to enact change in a time that desperately uh, needs it. So you're going to hear those two conversations. You don't really need to hear anything more from us other than to say that we are currently recording this at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Thursday afternoon. And this is the kind of story that is obviously evolving very quickly. We have heard uh, reports that multiple teams will be uh, not playing tonight. We've heard the Phillies and Nationals will not be playing. The Rangers and A's will not be playing. Um, So... It's possible I also that, think it's worth yeah. pointing out that on our during our interview with Russ Dorsey, we made the assumption that the NBA would not be playing moving forward. That has since been reportedly proven incorrect as that league looks like they're going to resume this weekend. Who the hell knows what is going to happen between now and then? Just want to give you a caveat there. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's that's really it. I hope you find these conversations meaningful, enjoyable, purposeful, and insightful. Uh, and we will talk to you folks later. Hey, everybody. Also wanted to apologize for the audio issues on my end during the interview with Russ Dorsey. Had a little technical difficulties over here. Uh, we apologize for it, and the audio will be all good for the interview with Brent Suter. Our apologies again, and thank you for listening. And we are now very happy to welcome into Baseball Barbecue, Chicago Cubs beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. And as I see here in your Twitter bio, mac and cheese savant. 
Yeah, man. Russell Dorsey. Uh, Russ, thanks so much for joining the pod. Absolutely. It is great to be with you guys, Jordan and Jake. How are you guys doing? You know, doing okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> things considered. yeah. That, that's such a loaded question in, in these times now, right? Like, how are you doing? You know, you know, there's a global pandemic, there's racial injustice. People are trying to play sports that don't really matter in the grand scheme. But other than that, I, I feel fine. <laughs> I don't have a headache, right? Like I, I'm tired and like emotionally worn out, but like, you know, physically I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Like this oatmeal I just had was delicious. So, you know. Uh, all right, Russ. Yesterday, Wednesday was, I would say, one of the most eventful and notable days in recent sports history. Uh, you cover the Cubs, a team that decided to play yesterday, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, just as a quick review of the timeline of events, the Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks decide not to play yesterday. Then the NBA decides not to play. Then the WNBA decides not to play. Then the Brewers decide not to play. And after all of that happens, we hear some news bubbling out of the Cubs clubhouse that Jason Hayward is not going to play on Wednesday night. Just take a moment and explain the reasoning behind Hayward's decision not to play. Yeah, so about, I'd say it might have been 25 minutes right before first pitch yesterday, um, we get notified that Jason Hayward was going to be a healthy scratch. Um, so instantly, you you kind of knew where that was going. You get started to see some things uh, brewing, no pun intended, with the Brewers and, and, and the Reds yesterday. Um, and that some players on 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 those sides were weren't thinking about or were thinking about not playing. Um, and then by that point, the NBA had canceled its games yesterday, and you kind of figured that's the way Jason was headed. So he decided to pull himself out of the lineup, um, standing in alliance with the athlete, other athletes in baseball, and uh, around. Major sports, WNBA, the NBA, and deciding to protest or not play in protest of uh, the shooting of Jacob Blake. Um, and, you know, we, it's one of those things we didn't get to talk to Rossi about it before the game. We didn't get to talk to, um, we didn't get to talk to Jason before the game. So it was one of those things that during we were just kind of waiting. We knew that we, talk to both after the game. So that's the reason why he did it. Um, he felt he had a responsibility, you know, as, as a leader of that team, he felt he had a responsibility as a baseball player. He felt he had a responsibility as a black man to, you know, do something. And I think we all, I, I can speak for myself as uh, a black man who has a, uh, an interesting job to do. <laughs> Which you have to, you know, you got to report on these things, but you also, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, as you guys have seen, my Twitter mentions haven't been in shambles for like the last month, but um, I was born a black man. I wasn't born a journalist um, and I do my job to the best of my abilities every day. But at the end of the day, like I still have a right to, uh, to feel a way about what's going on to people that look like me in this country. And you do feel a sense of responsibility. Like I feel a sense of responsibility as somebody who has a platform to tell people what what's going on. Like I have a responsibility to future generations to try to make it better for them. Like to my kids in the future. Like I have a, that responsibility. So 
Um, for everybody who's like, why does he feel like he has to put all this pressure on himself? It's not something that you just get to turn down necessarily. For me as a Black person, that's my opinion. I don't think that's necessarily something that you always choose to do just because, well, I just want to do this. No, sometimes you do what's right because it's right, you know? Uh, and then you think about the ease and all that later. But in this moment, Jason Hayward felt the need to do this. And uh, as you saw with players around Major League Baseball last night, that's that's what he did. So obviously this all happened very quickly, right? 4 p.m. we hear the Bucks aren't playing. 6 p.m. we hear the Brewers aren't playing. Now it's already almost first pitch in Detroit, where I assume you aren't in Detroit. Obviously, most of the beat writers are not. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so you obviously have the challenge of covering this from a distance as well. Um, so you did get to speak to them after the game. So now the question is, why did the Cubs play? Of course, we saw varying responses across the league with teams like the Dodgers, who did choose to not play, teams like the Mariners, and then other teams where a single individual sat out like Dexter Fowler with the Cardinals and Hayward with the Cubs. So Matt speaking Kemp to the Cubs... With the Rockies the, as well. And the Rockies as well. Um, so speaking to the Cubs, to the best of your understanding, what was their decision to, to, to play and the thinking behind that? Yeah, so... Um, I can go back to Hayward real quick. So I, I asked Jason at what point yesterday did he decide that he wasn't going to play? And he said, like everybody else knows, he said it was really a, kind of a spur of the moment type of thing. He didn't have all day to think about it. He saw him and some of the other players saw what the NBA was doing, WNBA was doing, and they were waiting for Major League Baseball to do something, but nothing was happening, right? So they just said, all right, screw it. We're going to take it into our own hands. And he said around an hour before first pitch, he started, he had been talking to players around the game. I imagine a lot of the players in the Players Alliance, um, you know, D. Gordon, he said he talked to Mookie Betts uh, about an hour before first pitch and Mookie told him what he was planning, what the Dodgers were planning and that he was, a, he was going to go talk to, to Dave Roberts. And ultimately we saw what the Dodgers ended up doing yesterday. Um, and not playing, but he started to have some of those conversations with guys, and then he ultimately decided that he wasn't going to play. So after, uh, right before he makes that decision, Dave, uh, David Ross calls him in his office and basically asks him, "Hey, man, what, what do you, what do you, how you feeling? What do you want to, what do you want to do? Whatever we, whatever you want to do, we're behind you 100." Um, percent And I, I don't want that to come off as Rossi saying, I, you know, this is off of my, it's out of my hands. I think something that is very nuanced in this is how much that team loves and respects Jason Hayward. Like people, we talk about Anthony Rizzo being the, the emotional vocal leader of that team, but number one, a on that team might be Jason Hayward. Like they were run through a wall for that dude. Um, and you saw in Rossi's post game, how much like he's, I've never seen, David Ross on on the verge of tears, uh, besides when the Cubs won the World Series, you know? So that that thing that's one of the things that tells you how much they care about him. So Ross even invites him in and says, Hey, like, whatever you want to do, we're behind you. Jason says, I'm I don't think I'm gonna play, but I don't want the team to feel obligated to not do it just because I am. I I want you guys. He encouraged them to go out and play the game. Um after that, they had a larger team meeting where you know, guys were concerned. Guys didn't, one, didn't want to play or two, had concerns about playing because they didn't want to hold, 
they want to didn't want to hang Jason out to dry, which was a lot of the optics, right? It was like, yeah. oh, why did the Cubs not stand behind their guy like that? That's that's effed up. Um, and I I just want to like on the optics there. I think that that impulse from a lot of people in baseball is so fair when you look at like, you know, the history of the way that racism has functioned in baseball. Right. So it's like when the way that the news was bubbling out, it was like, Oh yeah, they hung him out to try. Right. But you're, are you saying it was slightly, it it was more complicated than that? Yeah. It it was a lot more one, like you said, because we didn't get to talk to anybody before the game, like this happened before first pitch. So it was kind of, we were all learning on the fly, but yeah, from what we had heard, we heard from Jason, we heard from Ross, we heard from Rizzo, like, this happened within 30 minutes of first pitch. And even to what David Ross said, like five minutes before game time, they didn't know if they were going to play or not, you know? And so it was a lot more nuanced than people knew about because we didn't know about that large team meeting. So guys said they were concerned. Guys said they didn't, weren't sure they wanted to play. And, uh, you know, at that point, Jason Hayward addressed the team and said, listen, guys, I love you guys. I know you guys support me but I want you guys to go out and play. And that's their leader. That's their guy. They respect everything he says. So they wouldn't play baseball yesterday. Um, and, and I think that's the bottom line there. But uh, it's it's a, a crazy thing that happened. Um, I imagine had the Cubs had more time yesterday uh, and it wasn't 30 minutes before first pitch, I imagine the Cubs wouldn't have played yesterday. Um, I, I just think that they were just in a situation where it was so quick. Um, Jason said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. You guys, I know it's close to game time. So you guys go out and play the game. I appreciate you guys. Um, but let's say they were on the West coast. I truly think they wouldn't have played yesterday. I, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I think that is such a huge part of it. I think the timing clearly made a difference and we saw, you know, the Dodgers decision, you know, they had another three hours and with these decisions, it's a huge deal to be able to, to have more of those conversations. And, and I think it is important to, to kind of identify that nuance. And I think that's really interesting. And um, I, I actually yeah. want to ask about the Dodgers in relation to the Cubs, because, you know, I think something, those two teams are very similar in my head. I mean, the Cubs aren't as good, but I, um, the, they both at least publicly, right. Like present the idea of a very tight knit clubhouse. Yeah. These are teams that have been together very, the core group for like a half a decade, right? Or more. Absolutely. And that's significant in coming to decisions to, you know, basically do a wildcat strike. Like that's, that matters, right? Yeah. We I, had Mookie Betts, like a prominent black American player on the Dodgers and the only one on the Dodgers, I believe right now say he's not going to play and the team followed his lead. Meanwhile, on the Cubs, we had Jason Hayward, who I believe is one of three black Americans on the team, say that he's not going to play and the team decided to play. You know, do you think that, like, what's the difference there? Is it as simple as there was more time for the Dodgers to make a decision? Or do you think that the clubhouse dynamics are different? I know you're not inside the Dodgers clubhouse, so that might be difficult for you to speak to. But I just thought it was an interesting comparison, and I would like your take on it. No, I, I think when you look at the the prominent black voices in baseball, you know, Mookie and Jason are right at the top. Yeah. You know, not because yeah, they're great players. Mookie is an MVP. Jason is one of the best outfielders that we've ever seen. Like, 
not because of that, just because when they talk, people listen, you know? And, and I think when it came to the Dodgers yesterday, it's just like it was with the Cubs. It's like, all right, Mookie, like, what do you want to do? Um, I also think with having one of the few African-American managers in Major League Baseball is a huge role in that. Yeah. That plays a huge role because it's not that, all right, we're going to put it on, like, put it on you to make the decision or anything like that. It's like, no, we're all on accord. Like, this is what we're doing. And obviously you have my full support um, because I'm in this fight with you. I think that plays a huge role too. Um, And so I I think when it comes to those comparisons, I think you can compare those two teams. Like these are two guys that are leaders for that club. I think for the interesting thing for the Dodgers, Mookie's been a Dodger for like all of, of two, three weeks. Um, <laughs> and he's already like making moves like this and, and guys respect him that much. I think that says a great deal about Mookie Betts. Uh, not only on the Dodgers, but in this game. So uh, I think that's how you can compare those two. I think there were very similar situations. And uh, no, I, I think that's a, a good comparison of, of those two clubs. Right. And another comparison that I, you know, comes to the my, comes to the four is like, the, the Cubs and the Brewers, right? So Kenosha is 45 miles from Miller Park and 60 miles from Wrigley Field. And like those 15 miles are not the difference, right? Like that's not why the Cubs played and why the Brewers play, did not play. So right. like, do you have any thoughts about, you know, just the, the the geographic proximity of the Cubs to the shooting of Jacob Blake and what we saw happen there, you know, earlier this week. Um, and do the players, does the organization feel a responsibility because of that proximity in the way that it's clear that the Brewers organization does? Um, I think the teams in Milwaukee feel like this is, that happened in their backyard, right? Mm-hmm. That's why one of the reasons that they feel such a responsibility to take action um, for the Milwaukee Bucks specifically, you know, they've had teammates that have been victims of police brutality, you know, um, with Sterling Brown. Um, I, I think that they that hit home for them a lot deeper than any other organization um, yesterday or in the days past. I know. Tabo Cephalosha, who's, who was a teammate of a lot of those guys, had his leg broken by NYPD a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I think they feel a huge sense of responsibility there. They've been vocal throughout um, the Black Lives Matter movement about these things. I think for the Cubs, having they were for a long time, they they had one uh, black player on the team, right? And it was just Jason. Now you have. Jason, you have Jeremy Jeffress, you have Dwayne Underwood Jr. And I think you you bring in all those those different voices, different perspectives. And I think you you have to, you're gonna have to adjust on the fly. And I, what I mean by that is you have a lot of guys coming from a lot of places, a lot of ideals, uh, a lot of perspectives. And when something like this happens, where you have people who are affected so deeply, I think it, it forces you to uh, adjust yourself very quickly. You know, something that you may not have agreed with um, before, you might look at differently because a guy that you're in the trenches with every day is going through that. 
you know. Um, John Lester said something yesterday that, yeah, we're teammates, but we're family. And, and when family's hurting, then when family is upset, and when family isn't right, like, you do everything you can to, to be there for them. And so I think the Cubs have, you know, ever since opening day when teams around the game had their demonstrations, I think, and I, I think it was, it was the fact that this happened in the middle of the season at the halfway point after everything we had seen on opening day, after it felt like things were starting to get forgotten, I think is really important here because I think it shows that these things don't go away just because you do a nice demonstration, you have your ribbon, you have your Black Lives Matter uh, MLB logo on the mound on opening day, and then it's whatever corporate sponsor the next day. These things don't go away just because you want them to. You know, it takes work. It takes time. It takes you going out and, and using your voice and your platform. And in these case of these players, your labor to make a difference. It takes action. And I think that, you know, that's what we saw yesterday, especially from, you know, the teams that decided not to play. Well, yeah, because because I think and we've had some conversations about this. Uh, we talked to Bradford William Davis a few weeks ago about the opening day demonstrations and how these MLB sanctioned displays, they don't mean anything and they don't carry any weight. Now, this is an example of the players actually taking power and doing it themselves. Right. I think a lot of what's probably a mess in your mentions, and as we've seen too, <laughs> is people being like, what's the point? Right. Well, what does this even accomplish? Uh, why is this doing this? What, oh, well, you know, you know, sports, just because you're not playing sports, that's not going to fix the issue. And those, of course, they're, these are people that probably aren't going to get the point no matter how we explain it to them. But I still want to ask you, uh, wh- what do you see is the power in this? What, what, is, what is the purpose of, of, of an action like this? Dude. For the longest time in the history of sports, you know, you have the the athlete and then you had the management ownership. And one was clearly always more powerful than the other. You know, right now with what we saw yesterday, and it was ironic that it was four years from the day since Colin Kaepernick first took a knee with, with San Francisco 49ers, athletes took the power and they said, you know what? I'm not waiting for you to make my decision. We're not waiting for you to say that we can do this. We can have our t-shirts. We can put this on the court or the field or whatever. We're not waiting. We're, we're out because what, you know, it's, it's playing right now. Doesn't seem to be affecting any type of change. My mind's not even on this game and I need to do something to help make a difference. And if by me not playing a playoff game does that, we're going to do that, you know, for if that means take me taking myself out of the lineup because I, I have to do something to, to show that, that I know I'm really about it when it comes to standing for injustice. It's not just something that I do because we all got out here and we held hands and no, this is something that affects my life on an everyday basis. And so I'm out. And I think for the first time, people really saw the power of athletes, not only standing together, but also but also like wanting to to take power into their own hands to do things themselves and i think people really saw okay this is this is serious you know not just because it was 
one or two. It was like athletes across different sports. Today, we've seen teams in the NFL not have practice. You know, this is this is something that's far bigger than the NBA or WNBA or MLB or NFL separately. Like these are athletes across sports coming together. And it, I think what, what it does is it pushes in action into a space that is unacceptable and notable, right? Where the teams that chose to play, especially like on the West Coast, you know, like those, that's a decision to make. It is a decision to play. Whereas I think in the past, like playing in that kind of circumstance was the, especially in, you know, an overwhelmingly white sport like baseball the decision to play was kind of the baseline and the expectation. And I think that that conversation, like you said, changed a little bit yesterday. I, w- I want to take a moment to ask you about the language that white players have been using to talk about, you know, police brutality, Jacob Blake, George Floyd, racial injustice, et cetera. There's a certain level of vagueness, I think, that we see um, from white baseball players and from white athletes in general. Um, you know, you get your your buzzwords, right? You get <laughs> unity and you get, you know, we're all in this together. We have to speak out. And while I commend, you know, like Christian Yelich for saying something, it, he didn't really say something. And I'm just curious what your take is on that. As a black man, as a black sports writer, do you find statements like that hollow at all? Um. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yes, because I think, you know, it's it's not as black and white as as some of these statements. <laughs> it, it's super black and white. Like, it's not as gray as some of these statements right. lead you to believe. Like, no, I'm against police brutality. Easy. <laughs> Done. No, easy. I, I, it shouldn't be that I complicated. Black Lives Matter. Done. Like, it's super easy. But when you start to, yeah, you know, we, we're for equality and we we're going to take a stand together and I don't know what are we taking a stand against, you know? And uh, yeah, I I do think in that aspect, it allows a certain level of vagueness. um, And you, when you speak in generalities like that, it, it, uh, you, you stay, you keep yourself from going to any extreme. It's the image of, Kyle Schwarber wearing the uh, police hat with the Black Lives Matter shirt taking BP. Which I hadn't seen until a couple days after, you know, because that's something I'll ask about had I seen. (laughs) But like, yeah, no, that's it. And the optics of that are crazy. You're just like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Kyle. Black Lives Matter, but you have a, um, a Blue Lives Matter hat on with it? Like, I don't see how those two things mix. Like, you have to stand behind one. And I think when you speak in generalities, it allows you to stand on the fence. Um, the reason I think part of it is no is because I think guys do care. I think for the first time, maybe in their lives, they're learning about a lot of this stuff. And it, it's to imagine that at 30 and 40 years old or 25 years old is kind of crazy for me because, you know, for black people, you got to look at relatively quick in life. Um, but I, I think a lot of guys are learning this for the first time and they're just like, no, nah, man, that's effed up. I don't want that to happen. Um, I think with everything that's going on, they don't really have a chance to think about some of these things that they say. They don't get to think about how when you speak in general terms like that, people don't really hear what you, you're really trying to say. 
Um, and as somebody who uses words a lot, and as somebody who you know listens to people speak often, I necessarily I know what players are trying to say sometimes, but that doesn't mean that that message gets to yeah. the general public. You know, so that's where I think like I, I sometimes when when you hear players speak, you know that they care. Um, and I don't think that they want to be vague for vague sake. I just think sometimes they don't really, they can't really express how they feel necessarily. Sometimes they can. I, I think that's a part of it too. Like sometimes they can and they want to be vague, but you know, that's their prerogative on that. But I think sometimes players are generally care, genuinely care about what's going on. They just don't necessarily know how to put those things in the words. Uh, one more Cubs specific question before I think we want to finish with a grander now what, um, mm-hmm. but you mentioned Anthony Rizzo earlier as being the one a or one B to this Cubs clubhouse. And he's another person who had some pretty, at least strong words that you would see on Twitter and be like, damn, okay. Yeah. Uh, after the game yesterday, but in kind of a different sort of tone. So, uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on, on where you felt like that was coming from. I assume you, you watched that presser and, and what you kind of felt, uh, from, from Anthony Rizzo's quotes. Yeah, I, one of the things that I wanted to ask Anthony because I didn't want things to veer off topic is what did he want fans, fans of baseball, people who would see Jason not play guys around the games to to know what is what does he want those those fans to know? And he said he wants people to use common sense, you know. Uh, and I, I think yeah, he had really strong words. Um, they had a couple words that I won't use on your, your lovely podcast. Uh, <laughs> you can, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 you can go ahead and use those words. I will, I will I, choose not. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he basically, he said politicians don't give a fuck about us. All right. Yeah. And, and he was very honest and with people, <laughs> with people who know about Stoneman Douglas high school, you know, that's where Anthony Rizzo went to school. Obviously with a shooting happened a couple of years ago. And he understands what happens when you put important decisions into lawmakers' hands. I think that's the point that he was trying to make yesterday that came off so um, angry, frustrating. Uh, and he even said he, it's frustrating. You know, he, he knows what it's like to, to expect people who we vote for to make a difference, and in turn, they don't. Uh, I think that's in in the swears that kind of got lost. But I think majority of people really understood what he meant. Um, and if you don't know the background of Anthony Rizzo and his high school and trying to make that change, you know, it could come off as you're trying to veer off topic. I think he was staying along those same lines, using an experience from his past about, listen, I know what it's like to try to make a change and work with lawmakers and work with politicians to do something. And that doesn't get us where we need to go. Right. And um, that, that cynicism is right. It's from experience. Right. It is not right. just being like, we're hopeless, like fuck Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I didn't want that to, to get lost. Um, and all the commotion and all the retweets yesterday, because you know, there was, I woke up this morning and my phone, I, you know, I usually get a decent amount of notifications <laughs> when I wake up. <laughs> it was crazy yesterday. Um, you go on Instagram and Bleacher Report had the quote up and all this. And things are, that's why I tweeted before I came on with you guys. I was like, let's re- read things in context. 
read stories where you can see these things in context and, and get full quotes and stuff. Um, because I think it's, it, it is important to know that that wasn't just a off the cuff remark. Like this is a guy who went through, uh, a traumatic experience with his high school a couple of years ago and was very, you know, connected with that school and, and wanting to make a difference and working with lawmakers to do something about it. And he didn't, he hasn't seen the, the results that he's wanted because, you know, even in those efforts. So he understands what it's like for, you know, in a different way, obviously not in the same way for, for change in how police handle situations and how we ask for that all the time. And yet, you know, we see the black man get shot in the back seven times with his kids in the car. And so, yeah, I think that that from Anthony yesterday was just a lot of frustration um, with how we do things in general. Um, and, it, and while it was different, I, he was grasping from an experience that he knows and tying that back into this situation. All right. So where we stand right now at 1138 Eastern time, there will be games today. The teams that did not play yesterday, it appears that most of them will have some sort of doubleheader today. Um, the NBA, WNBA, it is unclear as to whether or not they will play today. Uh, same with MLS, and I assume hockey is just going to keep on rolling. Right. Uh, but my question to you is like a very, very vague, like now what happens, right? Because I assume today uh, Mookie Betts will take the field and Jason Hayward will take the field and... Uh, the season will somehow continue. I'm just curious from your perspective, like what the fuck happens now? Uh, I wish I had an answer for you, Jake Mintz. I really, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're right. Like guys are going to play today. Um, I don't know if we're going to see more basketball this year. Uh, and that might be for the best. And, and, you know, those guys are really serious about, and, 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 Ladies are really, they really care about making a difference in their community. Obviously, with a majority, almost 90% of players in, in those leagues being black, like, that's going to play a big role. But, I, you know, I don't know where baseball goes from here. Because for me, you can only put out so many statements. You can only put out so many tweets. You can only put out so many... Uh, graphics with the black and white MLB logo. Um, as, as Bradford tweeted, the woke grayscale. Grayscale, yes. Um, and necessary. It, necessary uh, graphic <laughs> edit. Right. You know, you and, it, and it sucks because, you know, I want to hear from, you know, Adam Silver has been on every TV screen I, I've had over the last week. And I know he's probably going to speak today. And I know he'd probably speak tomorrow. I want to hear from Rob Manfred. You know, I, I want to hear from team executives. I want to hear from, obviously, we've heard from managers. I, I think hearing from decision makers is a really important part of this. You know, hearing from people who have that power to, to make decisions, who know lawmakers, who know um, politicians, who know yeah. aldermen where their their ballparks are i think that's really important and i think people don't give themselves enough credit for what they can do you know especially people um in management positions and executive positions and ownership positions like 
come on, like you're not in this role and have no say about anything and have no influence and have no contacts in your phone. Right. You have hella contacts in your phone. <laughs> you got a lot of money. Right. Check the receipts, <laughs> Check right. the receipts <laughs> Mr. Ricketts. Like, it's no, right there. There's a lot people can do. Um, but yeah, like you just said, like there's a lot of ties here. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, people who are, you know, tied in with parties and all these different things. And, you know, that's where you get the... The, the silence a lot of the time. That's where you get the the lack of action. So where where that goes, I don't know, but I do think that's the next step. You got to start hearing from people higher up, you know, people who aren't playing. You know, because yeah, a, a lot of people that make those decisions are are the ones that aren't on the court or on the field. And and yeah, I think that's that's well said because it's it's uh, it'd be naive to expect baseball and basketball to take the same courses of action for a million reasons. Um, but that doesn't mean that things can be done and that doesn't mean things can't be done. Right. Um, so, uh, all and right, well, yeah, go ahead, I think, go. yeah, I think I, I just want to end on, you know, there was a tweet I saw yesterday and I, for the life of me, I don't remember who tweeted it because, you know, it was a madness situation yesterday, but someone basically tweeted Maya Moore understood all had to stop bouncing. And I think like that is really with me over the last, you know, 12 hours that like, like you said, there's only so much grayscale, man. Like there's only so many statements, and and I think it, it. Do you think it is a major step that like players in baseball recognize that not playing leads to like this conversation happening on this podcast that people are going to listen to, right? Yes, I think they do know that. I think they know that their action is the igniter for everything else. Like right. even if we look broad scope and say Colin Kaepernick was the igniter for the you know for everything that's happened in the last four years, you know that came to a head, maybe came to a head, maybe not, you know, with George Floyd and now Jacob Blake. Like we don't have players walking out of their jobs without what Colin Kaepernick did four years ago. So yeah, I think they know like you need that that spark to to light change to or at least start the conversation for change. You know, cuz that's the thing like when Colin took a knee, there was a lot of people who weren't on that side who are now on that side. And change doesn't happen overnight, we know that, but you know, 4 years ago, there's a lot of people who were just like that's so disrespectful, how can you do that? Who are now like, you know what? Black lives do matter. Yeah, and, and they, had not done that, that change may have never happened. Right, and it doesn't feel like it because on Twitter it just feels like you're never changing anybody's mind. But I think that's a great point. Um, all right, well, Russell, thank you so much for for joining us. This was a great conversation, and obviously, as we learned yesterday, things can change very quickly. So <laughs> we will see what the what the what the next steps are in in all these situations. But plug your plug your your world first and then i'm going to make a, a last thing yeah um you can follow me on twitter at russ underscore dorsey one uh on instagram at russ underscore dorsey great uh russ we will have you on in the future to discuss you darvish's cy young and what it actually means to be a mac and cheese savant uh but thank you for coming on today as i'm down whenever you guys need need me to i will i will i will be ready Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
right, we are now welcoming in Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Brent Suter. Brent, welcome to Baseball Barbecue. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Obviously, yesterday was a very uh, interesting and historic day in a lot of regards in the sports world. Um, we see the NBA uh, postponing games as the Bucks decided not to play. We see the WNBA doing that. And then, of course, we see you guys following suit afterwards. So very simply, yesterday, Wednesday, let's start with the afternoon when the Bucks make that decision. Uh, walk us through from the Bucks publicly deciding we're not going to play an NBA playoff game to the Brewers deciding we're not going to play tonight against the Reds. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it really started Monday. A lot of guys had heavy hearts about the, the shooting in Kenosha and all the, the rioting going on. Guys, um, you know, hearts were there with uh, the community. And then yesterday, we were, um, I know personally I was in the dining area when I saw the Bucks were uh, boycotting their game. It got me really thinking like, wow, that's a, that's a brave stand uh, by them. And started thinking like, we should probably talk about this as a team, um, kind of talk about what we want to do. And uh, as we talked through it as a team, um, you know, a lot of guys spoke up about how just not having baseball be able to be a distraction for this night might be really powerful statement um, and a powerful kind of action to back up the t-shirts we've been wearing, the statements we've been making to the media um, and really help further our, you know, our social justice initiative that we've launched this year. So um, it was one of those things we uh, met as a team and it became very clear and uh, that it was a unanimous call to uh, boycott the game yesterday um, and just have our hearts and just our, all the attention be focused on the, the wrongs that need to be righted right here at home uh, and across the country. So I, I think one particularly interesting dynamic of of you guys making that decision is you currently only have one black American player on your active roster. And I think the role of, of, of white players in what is an incredibly white world, white space uh, in baseball is super interesting. Just t- talk a little bit about the responsibility you think white baseball players have to, you know, shed light on police brutality and systemic racism in America. Yeah, I think uh, that's what this these last four or five months have been. A lot of people have been soul searching and uh, kind of discovering their own complicitness in uh, a system that has often upheld, uh, you know, white white privilege, um, white supremacy, and whatnot. And um, it's on all of us. It's not just on minority communities at all to be part of the work. It's on everybody to do the work uh, to be better um, better people to our fellow men and women and. Um, I think that was part of the, what we wanted to address yesterday was that like, Hey, yeah, we might only have one African-American, um, you know, we're a predominantly white team, but we care about this issue and we are, we're not going to be silent any longer on this. We, uh, we want change. We want to see people treated, um, everyone treated as human beings, um, and that everyone's lives do matter indeed. So, uh, yeah, I think that was, um, part of the, the power we wanted to make yesterday is that you know, predominantly white team, predominantly white fan base. Uh, we wanted all that attention to be put on the, the issues that, that are before right, right here at home and, and namely the uh, injustice for minorities in the, in the criminal justice system and uh, police brutality and inequality, um, lack of opportunity for, uh, you know, the lack of equity for shots of happiness here in life. So uh, we, want, we wanted to be making a statement last night. You mentioned, of course, this is all stemming from the horrible uh, shooting of Jacob Blake, and that just happened to happen in your backyard. Uh, but the Bucks have been so outspoken about this, as another team in Milwaukee, members of their actual team have experienced 
uh, extremely unfortunate incidents with police themselves. Uh, I'm curious how your relationship as someone on the Brewers with the Bucks has that relationship grown stronger, not just over the last week, but over the last few months as you've discussed these issues. Yeah. Um, so our main go-between with the Bucks is Christian Yelich. He knows a lot of those guys from doing events with them and um, meeting them after games and whatnot. I actually uh, don't know that many Bucks personally, but I know they come to our games and we go to their games. So there's a there's a friendship there, maybe not direct, but a, an indirect friendship. But uh, they were we were talking with them about their messaging and their uh, their statement before our team meeting, and so we were in communication with them and. I got to applaud them and their bravery for being the first ones through the door, so to speak, um, yesterday. And yeah, I think we, uh, we just have a really good mutual respect for each other. We care about the city, you know, even though there's maybe a handful of actual Milwaukee residents in terms of like growing up here, uh, we all care and adopted this community as our own and we care about it and we care about the people here and we want to see, um, like I said, we want to see some equity. We want to see some, some, uh, better treatment of all, all people, um, not just, you know, certain, certain groups, but all people. And uh, we want to see justice. You mentioned like the Bucks being the first ones through the door. And I think this has been a pretty fair critique of major league baseball as a whole. I would say over the last, you know, couple decades and even, you know, over the last year, we're a league who, you know, had Jackie Robinson break the color barrier, which is obviously a very significant moment in American history has kind of played third fiddle, fourth fiddle, behind the NBA, behind the WNBA, behind the NFL, and a lot of these social issues pertaining to, you know, racial justice. What does MLB, the players in MLB, more specifically the white players in MLB, need to do to not stay behind those other leagues to such an extent? Um, So I think a lot of it comes down to talking and listening with uh, people that uh, came up with a different background than you that looked different than you. Um, I think that is the first step into having empathy to having kind of those walls in our heart and our mind broken down and to really just listen to other people and their experiences and have that, you know, man, I, I get you. I, I feel you. Or, um, I, I didn't know this was happening. My eyes have been opened and now, uh, what can we do about it? So I think conversations that have been really taken off this year, uh, in clubhouses across the league are a big step into, into that. Um, I think, Certainly, uh, including more people of different backgrounds in the league um, is, a, is a big key. And that's why we're really working with the Boys and Girls Club and the RBI program in Milwaukee, trying to get that, uh, that program a, a jump start or uh, kind of some, some more help because they uh, have been in touch with their leaders and they, they don't feel as supportive as they should be. And that's, that's on all of us. So we're, we're really trying to make that be a big difference um, affecting the youth and the community and having, you know, teams and players come up that aren't just all white from the suburbs, but that looked, look like um, more like the United States of America. So I think that's a big thing too, is inclusivity for, from youth program on up. Um, and I think, honestly, I think it, it comes down to um, just continuing to be on top of these issues, like um, with our social media platforms, listen, like I said, listening, but also acting, you know what I mean? I think, I think going to, going to protest when it's safe again or for our you know team code of conduct but doing doing other things that um are out of our comfort zone but um need to be done you mentioned conversations about race and police brutality happening in major league locker rooms i played super mediocre college baseball but i know from experience that those aren't issues that are brought up in locker rooms and even more so are conversations that 
people don't want to have in locker rooms because in the past they were seen as kind of detriment to the overall goal of winning a World Series. Is that something that you feel has changed in the Brewers locker room significantly over the last month or so? I, I really do. Um, and just talking with other guys that I know throughout the league, I think it's changing throughout the game. Um, and I think guys are more in tune to these issues. Um, even, you know, guys who didn't want to talk are now engaged in the conversations now. Um, so I think at, from certainly from my personal and uh, experience and from talking with other guys, I know it's, it's changing and uh, it's a good change. Uh, my my last question for you, Brent, is, and you just mentioned a couple examples of tangible things of action, right? Of course, boycotting a singular game or a couple games or sitting out or however we choose to show our protest, at some point it is about action. Uh, what are some other things that you guys have discussed in terms of making an impact, not just in the Milwaukee community, but across MLB as a whole? Yeah. Um, so we have been in touch, like I said, with the Boys and Girls Club, uh, the National Urban uh, Academy, uh, trying to get some a laptop program going to help kids who can't afford uh, laptops who are going to college, uh, give them give them the help and the supplies they need. Um, so these are all working in development. We're working hard on getting these right. Uh, we don't want to you know, mess these up by any means. And um, we're also um, talking or wanting to talk with some justice, uh, like equal justice initiative or other programs like that, where, I mean, incarceration rates and sentencing is really racially driven in this country, unfortunately. And so is the death penalty. And, uh, these are issues that aren't easy to talk about, but are very like glaring when you look at it statistically. So if there's, uh, something we can do to support those organizations, um, whether it be donations or some type of fundraiser, we want to do that. And so we're, we're engaged on and talks with, organizations like that. So, um, I think we're still open to all things. We want to, we want to do it right. We don't want to drown the waters and do too many things, but we also want to do this right and really have a positive impact on our community because we're wearing Black Lives Matter. We're wearing justice equality now and the actions are starting to follow up, but uh, we, we need to keep going. We need to keep pushing because it's out of all of our comfort zones to talk about these issues, but it needs to be done and we need to act on it. Brent, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to hop on. I know it's a, a busy day for you, a busy world over there in Milwaukee. Um, thank you very much and good luck rest of the year. Thank you guys. Appreciate you having me. Thank you to Brent Suter. Thank you to Russ Dorsey for coming on and talking about the cancellations, strikes, walkouts, but not boycotts because that's the wrong word, everybody. Uh, that happened on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, in the wake of the police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, of Jacob Blake earlier this week. Uh, Jordan, that is it for the Baseball Barbecue. Expect another podcast early next week. Until then, stay safe, be kind, wear a mask, and uh, defund the police. <laughs>